you would, I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. We'll continue to uh, look this morning at the whole armor of God as we wipe up or wrap up our study of the book of Ephesians. I've been here for quite some time on Wednesday and Sunday nights, and we decided to uh, conclude on Sunday mornings as we look at uh, this which is so needed in the day and hour in which we live. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter number 61, and verse number 10, the prophet writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown into it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. I like the imagery we get there in the book of Isaiah as we look at that uh, clothing, that garment that God's going to give us one of these days. But right now, there's, a, there's another uniform, if you will. You think about police officers, you think about our military, our firefighters, and, and all the rest, they're given a uniform. They're given something that is for their protection. Mm -hmm. When that police officer wakes up and prepares for his shift, he, he gets suited up. He gets to a place that he might go out and feel relatively assured that he's going to be safe, that he's going to be kept. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and as he concludes the letter, uh, he offers some spirit, a, a spiritual uniform, if you will, that every Christian ought to put upon themselves every day, preparing themselves, knowing that once we step outside of our home or even step outside of our bed, we're going to find ourselves under a spiritual attack. Yeah, we right. look all around us and we realize that there is a great war being fought. It is not a war that we might see with our physical eyes. We cannot see the opponent, but we know it's there. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, even more so. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, again this morning, we thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank you for your grace. Yes. Lord, I thank you to know that even lost and undone in sin, there was a day that I heard the gospel preached. Lord, that the Spirit of God touched my heart mm -hmm. and that I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Father, I thank you that since that day you've allowed me to grow. I thank you that since that day you've allowed me wisdom and, and knowledge. And Father, I pray that you would continue to, to give me more. Lord, I pray this morning that I might be a blessing to your people, that you would remove me from me, and that you would fill me with your spirit. 
you would give me the words to speak as, as we so desperately need these scriptures, these verses, especially in this day, in this yes. hour in which yes. we live. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness this morning. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, verse number 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We've been looking at one piece of armor at a time, and this morning we find ourselves in verse number 16. And The Apostle Paul speaks of that shield of faith, that shield that offers protection, that, that shield that offers provision. As we look at this verse, we find that there is an attack on the Christian. In verse number 11, again, the Bible says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You may be able to stand against the scheming of the devil. You may be able to stand against the, uh, the wickedness of the devil. You may be able to stand against the attack of the devil. You are going to be attacked. That's right. And you'll notice here the subject of the attack. What is the subject of the devil's Christian? The devil seeks the Christian. Now, of course, the devil wants to stop one from becoming a Christian. But once you have become a Christian, the devil attacks you even the more. Amen. I believe oftentimes, once we've accepted Christ to be our Savior, we think it's smooth sailing. We think that there's going to be no more trouble, no more problems. If I start going to church and I become a church member, I get saved and I get baptized and I begin to put something in the offering plate. I begin to teach Sunday school. I, I work a bus ministry. I do this and I do that. If I am faithful in all of these things, then the devil is going to leave me alone. I can tell you from experience, the more you do, the more he's going to attack. I've used this example before. My pastor, Pastor Craig Peak. Mount Hope Baptist Church, McLeansville, North Carolina. Sunday morning, I go, I get in my van. Pastor Pete gets in his bus, and he is having a bad day. It's about 8 o'clock in the morning. Pastor Pete, what's wrong? Well, the bus wouldn't crank. The heat's not working in the church. This and that and that and this and all the rest. I said, Pastor Pete, you want to see it all come to an end? Park the bus, turn it off. Don't pick up any children. Don't do anything for God. The devil will leave you alone. When you're working for Him and serving Him, you best believe you are going to find yourself constantly under attack of the evil one. Yes. Now, who is the source of the attack? Or what is the source of the attack? The Bible here speaks of fiery darts. Yes. Now, what is a fiery dart? Now, let's think very uh, realistically. Let's not think figuratively, but let's think very realistically. What is a fiery dart? We're speaking here of the old-fashioned bow and arrow. We got any bow hunters? Any bow hunters at all in here, brother? Brother Mike, you you got that crossbow? You, any other bow hunters in here? No, I'm just teasing, brother Mike. But anyways, you think about that fiery dart. Now we didn't have crossbows back then. We didn't have the nice compound bows. You had basically a nice recurved bow with a string and some darts. They take that dart, and of course it would be pointed, but they would dip that thing in some pitch, some almost like tar. And that tar, that, that pitch would burn relatively slowly. They take that pitch and they would light it on fire. They'd pull that string back and they'd let that thing go. And once that arrow hit its target, that pitch would splatter along with the fire uh, that uh, had been assigned to it. And so you find that you've got these fiery darts and they're flying everywhere. Now, let's look at these darts. Let's look at three things concerning these darts or these arrows that are a flaming fire. 
number one about these arrows is their silence. Once you have pulled that string back and you've let it go, the only sound you hear is the sound of the arrow hitting the target. Yeah. You don't hear the arrow. You don't hear uh, uh, like you would if you shoot a rifle or a pistol or a shotgun when that, that you hear that blast once that, uh, that gunpowder ignites. You don't have any of those things. The only sounds you hear is possibly uh, the release of a string and the thud when that arrow hits its target. And so the arrow is silent. Just as the attacks of Satan are oftentimes silent, they come in unawares. Not only is it silent, but it's sightless. Did you realize that on a recurve boat, a recurve, now when I say recurve, I'm talking about your standard old-fashioned boat, that arrow releases and travels at a distance of 225 feet per second. That is almost 70 yards. You stand at the end zone of any regulation football field. You look at the 50-yard line, add another 20 yards to that. So basically three-quarters of a football field in one second flat. The soldier does not stand a chance. By the time it has left the bow, it has already hit its target. You cannot see the attack coming. But rest assured, it is coming for certain. Not only do we see the silence and the sightlessness, but we see the slaughter. That pitch splatters. And once that pitch splatters, it is not only crippling where it hits, but it is crippling all around. And so you don't necessarily have to hit a soldier. But you can hit something relatively close to him. You can hit camp. You can hit a ship. You can hit something that is flammable. And once that pitch begins to burn, you can do a lot of damage destroying everything within sight. This is the source of the devil's attack. But notice finally it's a spiritual attack. We don't walk outside of the church, Miss Barbara, and, and, and have to concern ourselves very much with fiery darts falling from the sky. I have no fear whatsoever that I'm going to be walking through Walmart or Food Line or I'm going to be at work or I'm going to be in any other place and all of a sudden somebody's going to shoot me with a bow and arrow. I have no concern. I do not lose any sleep uh, concerning that matter. But I do realize what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about a physical fiery dart, but he's talking about that which is spiritual. Yes. Again, you must look at, the, uh, look at the context. The Apostle Paul is in bonds. Even at this particular moment in time, as he writes, he is most likely chained to two Roman guards. And so he could look to his left, he could look to his right, he could look out the door, out the window, and see Roman guards going to and fro, back and forth, day after day after day. They've got their loins girded. They've got upon themselves a breastplate. Many of them will be carrying shields. Many of them will be wearing helmets. Many of them will have a sword sheathed to their side. And so Paul is writing in terminology that the people of the church at Ephesus might be able to get a mental image of exactly what it is in which he is saying. And so you've got the Apostle Paul writing to the church today. And so that we can understand exactly what the Scripture has to say, he is giving us that which illustrates what he is trying to teach. And so he writes of these fiery darts, but he's not speaking of that which is physical, but that which is spiritual. I was reading, I was studying, and I was looking and, and I was trying to figure out exactly how the Satan attacked, because we know that that list would be incalculable. 
How does Satan attack you? I believe each and every one of us, if I started with Brother Bill and went around the room and ended with Miss Barbara, each one of us could give us a different answer. Maybe 30, 35 answers this morning. Yeah. Well, Satan attacks me this way. Satan attacks me that way. Yeah. Satan attacks me in this manner and or that. He knows exactly how to attack Brother Clarence, and he knows that the way he attacks Brother Clarence might be something entirely different than the way in which he would attack Brother Mike. Mm -hmm. And he might attack Brother Mike in a way that's entirely different in that in which he would attack Brother David. But rest assured, Dayton is, uh, Satan is not ignorant. Satan has more power, I, I believe, than we oftentimes give him credit yes, for. That's right. Satan has a demonic host. Even now, the Bible says that Satan, as a roaring lion, walketh about, mm -hmm. seeking whom he may destroy. Yes, he is the adversary. He is the accuser of the brethren. He knows more about you probably than you know about yourself. Right. He knows your weak points. He knows how to tempt you. He knows how to test you. He knows how to push your buttons to get you to sin against God, therefore ruining your witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I was studying, I did find one article. I like articles. I like when people put, a, uh, uh, put some things together that we might be able to learn what others have to say concerning a matter. I found this article that was entitled, Nine Ways Satan Seeks Your Destruction. Nine Ways Satan Seeks Your Destruction with Scripture reference. Number one, he plants doubts and lies. Yes, now this is exactly where my mind went from the very beginning of preparing for this message. Genesis chapter number three. In the creation, God has created all things and created them. Could you imagine living in an environment where sin was not yet introduced? Could you imagine living in a place where your number one responsibility was to dress and keep the garden and eat of the fruit thereof. That your responsibility was to have dominion over that in which God had created. Enter the serpent. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, hath God said. Remember those three words, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. I believe it was right then that doubt, right then that doubt for the first time in all of history was entered into the human mind. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And all of a sudden, Eve began to think to herself, God has lied to us. And there is that doubt, that lie that has been whispered into her ear. Reason number two, or way number two, that Satan seeks your destruction. He fights against your faith. We find that here in Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is none other than Satan himself. Mm -hmm. Our enemy is none other than that demonic host 
He is fighting against our faith. Yeah. We see it all around us. We have known persecution in the church from the very beginning. The disciples, the apostles themselves gave their lives for the establishment of the church. There are men and women throughout history who have fought and died that you and I might be able to meet in this place today. Mm -hmm. You look at church history and you will realize that there is a long list of martyrs who went to the grave standing up for the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all along the way you've got Satan fighting against their very faith. Way number three, he will tempt you with sexual immorality. First Corinthians in chapter number seven and verse number five, the apostle Paul is writing to that church that had many problems at Corinth. And he said this, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. What is it that the devil does? The devil would love nothing more than to ruin your relationship with your spouse. Oh, how the devil would love to see husband arguing with wife or wife arguing with husband. What an example that sets before the children, the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, the brothers, the sisters, those that you work with, and all the rest. And so what does Satan do? Satan likes to weave into that relationship, that that physical relationship what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Satan likes to weave into that that he might be able to destroy the family unit. I believe Satan to be the number one enemy against the family unit today. And we see how the family unit has changed over the past even couple of years. Is it not an amazing thing? In the past six to eight years, the family unit has changed at an unprecedented rate. The family unit has been re-identified to be something in which God never intended it to be. Number four, he will try to cause disunity amongst Christians. He will try to cause disunity amongst Christians. Has anybody ever heard the terminology church split? Where do you think that comes from? It doesn't come because you've got one Christian who loves another Christian and wants the best for that other Christian and so they decide the best thing they can do is part ways. How foolish is that? No, a church split happens because there's disunity. I want things my way. Well, I want things my way. Well, you can have them your way at the church on the other corner. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if he ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose ends shall be according to their works. Do you see here that Paul says that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light? It could be that, 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 that church member That church member that everybody thinks to be such a good person. That one who is so very well respected. Now I call them a church member, not a Christian. I believe our churches are filled with members who have never professed Christ to be their Savior. I can't read your heart. If you come up here and you uh, decide that you want to join Spring Street Baptist Church, I'm having to go off what you tell me. Now by their fruit shall you judge them. I understand this. Or by will you know them. But when you come up here and you say, I've trusted Christ to be my Savior, 
I want to be baptized. You're baptized. You're voted in as a member of Spring Street Baptist Church. That is all according to your own confession. I can't read your heart. I cannot prove one way or the other. With that being said, I'm absolutely certain that in churches around the world, we have church members who have never professed Christ to be their Savior. And so they come in, and what do they do? They allow themselves to be a tool for Satan that he might slither into that place and destroy the work that has taken place. He will slander you before God. Look at, you don't have to turn there. Revelation 12 and verse number 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Mm -hmm. Do you realize that Satan is relentless? Yeah. Do you realize that Satan has access to God? You find it in the book of Job, by the way. Yeah. But could you imagine Satan there at the throne of Almighty God? What about Nick McCorkadale? I, I, you, I mean, let me tell you about that guy. We're not going to get into mine. We can get into y'all's. We ain't getting into mine. But he's got a list that is long, I can yeah, tell you. That's right. I mean, the list goes on and on. If it was a scroll, it'd roll right out the door, down the street. Next thing you know, it'd be uptown Martinsville. Oh, yeah. There is no shortage. But don't laugh because yours is just as long, That's if not right. longer, than mine. That's right, preacher. Preach he on. is the accuser of the brethren, but I'm thankful for this. That though he stands before the throne of God, there's one sitting at the right hand saying, oh, by the way, God, you remember that right there? You remember that piercing in my hand and my feet? All that's been covered. Yes. Amen. Preach. He will try to take you down through pride. Now, everybody listen to this because each one of us, and this is one, one of mine on that list, by the way, if y'all want to know, and I know it is requiring minds want to know, it's that pride. That prideful spirit. Yeah. Help us, Sometimes you even think that it's a righteous pride, but there's no such a thing. Now, it's good to be proud in God. It's good to be proud in, in your children. I'm proud of my children. I'm proud of the things in which they've done. It's good to take pride in your work. But what is bad is when you allow pride to take you. First Peter chapter number 5, verses 6 through 8. Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. He, not you yourself, but He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom He may devour. Mm -hmm. Again, you see that roaring lion whispering in your ear. Your way's right, by the way, Brother Bill. That preacher don't know what he's talking about. You just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, you don't worry about uh, what the Bible has to say concerning this matter. Your way is far better. And so you see that ego, that, that pride just begins to build and build and build. And all the while, Satan's lick, looking back, got a smile on his face. He's licking his lips and rubbing his hands. I've got another one. Sure. I've got another one. I know I've already lost him. I know he's been born again, but he will never take anybody with him. He will persecute you for your faith. Revelation 2 verse 10. We saw this just the other night. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. That ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. You would have almost thought the Apostle Paul himself would have written that. That was the words of the Lord Jesus Christ penned by the Apostle John. Even again we find Paul writing this letter. Bam. In bonds, 
chained for the faith that He has showed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to be persecuted. I don't believe any of us here have truly been persecuted for our faith. I believe some of us have been mocked. Some of us have been ridiculed. Some of us have had a door slammed in our face. Some of us have had people to hurt our feelings. But I don't believe that there's one of us, and I could be wrong. Don't mistake, or don't, don't mistake what I'm trying to say. But you look over across the seas. You look in red China. You look in the Middle East. You look at people who today, we, we, feel, we feel as we're being persecuted because we have to social distance to be able to come to God's house. There are some that they must not preach like this, but they're whispering in each other's ears in fear that someone might hear what they're doing and come put them in a prison and eventually take their life being persecuted for the faith that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will try to cripple your faith through fear. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. He will try to sidetrack you with worldly, worldly things. That's number 9. I'm speeding through these. First John chapter number 2. John writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I was listening to a comedian, and he was talking about his desire to have a bass boat and how they, how, how rednecks are attracted to bass boats. I don't, I can't remember. It may have been Jeff Foxworthy. I can't remember. But he said something about, he said, you, he, he said, you know why they, they make them bass boats sparkle? And I think it has something to do with the water and the fish being able to see and all that. He said, that's to get your attention. That's to make you want it that much more. Those diamonds, they shine. And those women, they just begin to drool. And they think to themselves, oh man, if I could just have that big old rock. And they're looking at something which is worldly. Something that's going to go up in smoke one of these days. But we look all around us and, and Satan has tempted us. Nice cars and bigger homes and all the rest. If you'll work just a little bit harder. And I tell you what, you start working on Saturdays and, and Sunday morning, by the way. If you work Sunday morning, they're going to pay you double time. I used to work in a machine shop. They paid half, time and a half on Saturday and double time on Sunday. Now, I was making pretty decent money already. You start talking double time, that's more money than I'd have ever seen. And how Satan likes to come in and, and whisper in your ear, it's going to be okay. You can work that four or five hours. Yeah, you're going to miss church, but think about how much more you can provide for your children. Think about that nicer vehicle you've been wanting so very badly. You can buy that bigger house. You can take your family on the vacation of your dreams and all the rest. And all the while, it is Satan mm -hmm. whispering into your ear, yeah. trying to entice the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's right. Notice secondly here we see the adversary of the Christian. Who is the enemy? It is none other than Satan himself. Paul calls him here the wicked. If you were to look that up in the Greek, it's literally the wicked one. You will find throughout the scripture he has been given a multitude of names. He is known as the tempter. He's known as the father of lies, the murderer, even the God of this age. The prince of the power of the air. I mean, there is no shortage of names for the devil. You'll notice in verse number 12, the devil's program. 
Who is involved in this warfare? You've got the devil. You've got principalities. You've got powers. You've got rulers of the darkness of this world. You've got spiritual wickedness in high places. And remember, you can't see one of them. Now, you can see some of the agents in which he uses. But all of these are spiritual matters. These are things that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And yet, as Christians, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they are there. You've got the devil's program. You've got the devil's purpose. What is the devil's purpose? I believe the Lord Jesus told us in John 10, verse 10. He said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. What is the devil's purpose? He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. The devil knows what is coming unto him. He has read the book. Again, you must remember that he is not as dumb as oftentimes we may think. Now let's not give him more credit than due. But let's know our adversary. When you find someone going into war, they want to know what the enemy is capable of doing. And so it's good for the Christian to know what the enemy is capable to do. We need to know a little bit about Satan himself that we might be able to stand against him. His purpose, yeah. knowing that he will spend all of eternity in a lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, is to take as many as he can with him. Satan has seen, has seen heaven. Mm-hmm. Satan was that angel, most likely the, the most brilliant angel ever created. And it was that pride that would uh, reside within him that would cause him to be cast from that uh, celestial city. It is that pride that cost him eternity to be abandoned into that lake of fire. He knows how good it is there and he doesn't want anybody to have what he can't have. So he's going to take as many with him to a place called hell eventually to find themselves in that lake. You'll find the devil's plan to keep a lost man from knowing Christ and to prevent a Christian from serving him. He can't have you. If you've trusted Christ to be your Savior, you have what we call eternal security. There is not one that can take your salvation. You couldn't go to hell if you tried. Now, I'm not saying go out and try. If you begin to try, then you must ask yourself this question, was I ever saved? If you ever find yourself desiring not to be saved, you must ask yourself the question, was I ever convicted of the Holy Spirit of God? Did I ever repent of my sin? Notice finally the advantage of the Christian. You find the the advantage of the Christian is the soldier's attire. He's got the whole armor of God. Mm -hmm. Remember, Paul is looking and sees these soldiers and they're all decked out as ready for battle. They've got upon themselves uh, these different pieces of gear and Paul has likened them to spiritual uh, pieces or garments that you and I must put on on a daily basis. We must have our loins, the Bible says, gird about with truth. We must put upon ourselves the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and that offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice the Savior's assurance. Paul speaks here of that one piece, the shield of faith. Above all. Now, he's not saying necessarily that this is the most important piece of of armor in which the Christian has above him but above all it encompasses all other that shield now put yourself back about uh, some 2,000 years that shields about two foot wide and about four feet tall if you take that shield with those leather straps you put your arm through you duck down you are completely covered yeah 
And so all of these fiery darts are coming. And as shield, you say, wait, but wait, those, those darts, those darts are covered in pitch, which is fun. Well, they've got wooden shields, but they put this leather that's been soaked so that it can't, uh, it can't catch fire. Some of these shields are made of metal. Different warriors and different principalities are most likely going to be carrying different material uh, shields. But all the while, they're about two foot by four foot, most of them wood covered in leather, some made out of metal, large enough to cover the body. But what's interesting about these shields is this. These shields were constructed in such a way that they could, uh, uh, they could be connected one to the other. And so you could see this, this Roman garrison, if you will. You've got all of these soldiers. They get one side by side. And now you don't have one uh, a multitude of small two foot by four foot shields. You've got a wall coming at you. Yeah. What is that telling you and I today? As Christians, we take our shields, we link together. There is, there, there's an advantage in numbers. There is strength in numbers. Yes. And so when you get a multitude of Christians coming together, we stand even more so capable of standing against the devil himself. We need not try to stand alone. Mm -hmm. Of course we stand upon the Word of God. Of course we stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. But He has established a church that we might be able to stand up together. Yeah. What a blessing it is to know that we've got brothers and sisters who are like-minded that are there with their faith coincided with our faith that we might lift one another up and try to be a help to one another, especially in these days. David wrote in Psalm chapter number 28 and verse number 7, and I like this. He said, The Lord is my strength, my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song. Will I praise Him? The Lord is my strength and my shield. Why? Because my heart trusted in Him. This is the shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is the, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing on something that you cannot see with your eyes. I've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen the scars in His hand, the holes in His feet. But I know He exists because of the work that He's done within me. That's faith. Faith is getting on an airplane trusting that that pilot's going to get you from one point to the next. Faith is getting in your car and going out on that interstate hoping or, or, or with faith knowing that someone's not going to hit you and take your life. We've all got faith. The difference between my faith and another's faith is where we put our faith. Mm -hmm. yeah. Finally, we see the security afforded. Once we've woken up, we put on that, that belt. We've got our loins girt with the belt of truth. We've put on that breastplate of righteousness. Now, now again, you must look back to that Roman soldier. Once you put that belt on, it stays on all day. Once you put that breastplate on, it stays on all day. You don't take it off and put it on at your convenience. But that shield, do you carry that all the day? No, that's for battle. Right. That shield is for war. Mm -hmm. You might take that shield, you might lay it off to the side. You might take that helmet of salvation off of your head and lay it on the table. You may even ungirt that, uh, that sword that you might be able to sit and relax and rest until you hear that trumpet sound and you know that the battle is near. And then you stand up and what do you do? You put the belt back in his holster. You put that helmet back upon your head. You take that shield of faith above all that you might be able to stand against the evil one. So once we put on that armor, the Bible states that we might be able to withstand in the evil day. And Paul says, having done all. Having done all to stand. When we are suited up, when we know that closeness with our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a strength. There is a strength that is brought upon the Christian. Mm -hmm. 
It is a new sense of security previously unknown. How, how much strength do you find when you wake up in the morning and you prepare for another day? You wake up and everything's just as it always was, but then you get down and you spend some time with the Lord in prayer. And you spend some time quiet and alone in the Word of God. And all of a sudden you can feel that strength. For you too, as David could say, the Lord is my strength and yeah. my shield. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Brother Bill, I'm going to ask you right there if you'll hit finish on the bottom right hand corner of that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm